0: good singing. I was telling Wednesday night crowd the other night that I overheard a conversation between two individuals. We were out in a public place and I asked that it was about going to a concert and or going to concerts and I asked one of the uh, the young lady who is a concert goer what she liked about going to concerts so much and she she said she just liked the camaraderie of everyone who's there, and how everyone is singing the same thing. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, that's what I experience every time I go to church. Um, and and then I think I said something to her like that, that's what, that's what we do at church. And she said, oh yeah, I love a good worship concert too. <laughs> so I don't think she quite understood what I was talking about. <clears throat> but it's good to be able to sing. That was some good singing this morning. <clears throat> I hope you're doing well in your Bible reading. One, one week's under our belt so far. I hope you've been successful in that. And a scripture memory as well, as we're working through Psalm chapter 1. Now, Brother David, do you have anything you wanted to say on that? Brother David and Dwayne really put together our memory verses for this week. But do you have anything on that, Brother David, you wanted to comment on right quick? We're in favor of it. Praise the Lord. All right. So, uh, is that it, Brother David? Nothing else? All right. So, I don't want to take over the service. Well, I, so, I, so, I, so, I said uh, quickly, you know, or briefly. Mm-hmm. But Psalm 1, and uh, let's try to memorize that together as a church. That'd be great uh, for us to do that. We can talk about it at home. You can quiz one another on it occasionally. And if you hang around Brother David any time at church, he'll quiz you on it uh, while you're here. Now, I'm not saying that for you to avoid him, uh, but just to prepare you. Uh, I also want to just uh, put a bug in all all of your ears, Uh, you know, as we have visitors and you folks come to the church, uh, it's real important that we be looking out to be friendly to them and From most accounts that I hear from folks who visit the New Life Baptist Church, they feel like we are a friendly bunch. But we can sort of get in a place sometimes, kind of get in a place of complacency, and we will not really pay attention to visitors who come in, or we will think that somebody else is going to go talk to them. Let's not do that. If you see someone new come in, or even someone who's been joining us for, for a time and no one's talking to them, be sure you go reach out and talk to them, speak to them. It's important that we show ourselves uh, to be friendly to others who uh, come and um, join in our services. So please be uh, careful to do that. We can get caught up in our holy huddles sometimes, and we don't break that huddle to go talk to other people. And uh, we, we ought to try to do that make sure that we are doing that. Now, I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. There, are, there is a sermon notes page for today. If you are interested in that, and we're beginning a little sermon series that uh, has an indefinite amount of time which we will spend in this. But we're going to look at a few key um, issues, important issues for church life. And the sermon series is called Life in the Local Church. The first message that we will um, have in that series is elders in church life. So with that in mind, I'll read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. I ask you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud from the New King James Version. This is the word of the Lord. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Verse 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the, God, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Father, I... Thank you for your son who has shed his blood to redeem us from our sins. And Lord, to make for himself a people that are zealous, that is zealous for good works. Father, we are grateful and I I am grateful and we are as a church that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared and that that grace is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live righteously, godly, and soberly in this present age. Father, as we come to your word today, and as we go through this sermon series, Father, I pray that it would grow us as a church, that your word would grow us as a church. Help me to deliver it now to your people and give your people ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, elders in church life, Um, as you think about the office of elder, you may have heard of this office in uh, different ways, and some of the ways uh, are, are this. You have elder, you have shepherd or pastor. And you have bishop or overseer, which the last one is not one that is going to be used a whole lot in our circles. You may hear elder, you may hear pastor. I have uh, placed up there the transliterated Greek word, presbyteros. Uh, you have poimain for pastor. And then for overseer or bishop, you have episkopos. You'll notice under elder that it sh- this uh, particular title shows his maturity and dignity now this ideally the man would be a a older man uh, but it's focused most on maturity and dignity it's someone who is mature in the lord someone who is dignified in the lord i like to think of it this way if we were all of us were plopped down in some city in the first century and we we were a church we are a church plopped down new law baptist church of Thessalonica, whatever. All right, we're there. And then uh, this guy named Paul sends a guy named Timothy to us, and he's working among us, and then Timothy receives a letter, and he says, appoint elders in New Life Baptist Church. As a congregation, let's think of it this way. What, which men in our congregation... Would be appointed as elders. Would we look only for men who have gray hair? Sam Mackey's not here this morning. I was going to pick on him. I'd say, Sam, if that's the case, you're 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 up. Or would we look for men who are mature in the faith, dignified in the Lord? And then the qualifications that we know, and, and I'm not I'm not working through these today are in First Timothy chapter three verses one through seven. If you're wondering about well what will we look for specifically, it's laid out in First Timothy three, one through seven. You can also find similar qualifications in Titus chapter one. Alright, so the first one elder, and then the second shepherd or pastor, maybe this shows his care and his attention to the to the congregation. The last one, bishop or overseer, shows his uh, responsibility and duty. He he oversees. They oversee the congregation. Like a shepherd overseeing a flock, their well-being, their health, their security. The elders oversee a congregation. Now, I want to give you a scripture that has all three of these words found in it. This is in your notes, but First Peter chapter uh, one, chapter five, verses one through two, it says there that the elders, um, presbyteros, who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Then he says, Shepherd, and this is poimeno The flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, episcopeo, that's overseers is episcopeo, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. I present that to you to show you that these three words, titles, are used for the same office, used for the same individual's. If you're an elder, you're a pastor. If you're a pastor, you're an overseer. If you're an overseer, you're an elder. All right? So, now the first thing that I'd like to point us to in this text from 17 and 18 is appreciation of elders. Appreciation of elders. As Timothy's receiving this instruction from Paul, you'll notice here in verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. All right, let's, let's work through this. There's a lot to glean just from this, just from verse 17. The first thing is this. Elder is an office in the church. Would you agree? Office, whatever word you want to use, position, calling, it is a reality it should be in the local church. Let the elders who rule well. All right. So elder is an office. If you want to write down in your Bibles, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And I gave all of these to you several weeks ago when we were in 1 Timothy 5. Um, so I'm not going to go back over all of this list. But 1 Timothy, uh, Acts fourteen twenty-three says, So when they had appointed elders in every church that, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Acts 14.23 has a plurality of elders being appointed in every church. The church is singular. Now, in Titus chapter 1, Titus is told there on the island of Crete to appoint elders in every city. Assuming that there is a church in every city, therefore elders should be appointed in every city. So again, we see the plurality and then the singular. So elders, uh, the appointment of that. The second thing we see is elders are to rule in the church. Elders are to rule in the church. In, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul said, let the elders who rule, all right? So elders are to rule in the church. We're going to dive into that a little bit more in a moment, so just hang on to it. Um, next, we see that elders may vary in how they rule. Now, I take that from this passage because he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy. So apparently there may be some varying in that. Next, we see elders who rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor. Double honor. And then the last one is... That elders are to labor in the word and doctrine. The word labor is a word that's used um, to talk about, uh, and it means, you know, being tired, being exhausted from the work that's being done. You might think about this the laboring in the word and doctrine. In Acts chapter 6, when the first uh, deacons apparently were appointed there, Does anybody remember why they wanted to set deacons over the distribution of the food there in Acts chapter 6? Why did the apostles want them to do that? That they might give themselves to what? Yep. Study of the word and prayer to the ministry of the word. All right. So they would minister the word of God while the deacons were doing the hands-on, taking care of the physical needs of the congregation. So we kind of see the same thing here. Elders... Are to labor in the word and doctrine. Now, um, let, let's go to this, uh, two, these two questions. The first question is this: What does it mean to rule? What does it mean to rule? <clears throat> Some have taken this verse seventeen and they've divided it up and say it, and they've, they've uh, said that, all right, this means there's two classes of elders. There's a ruling elder, who may not preach or teach, and there is a teaching elder. There's obviously two different groups. I'm not coming to present that to you. I don't know that that's clear in this text. That might be the case. It might not be the case. But as we think about uh, elders ruling, and you, you can remember Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. In uh, Acts, in First uh, Thessalonians 5, remember how we learned there that they are to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. I think the word for over you in the Lord is the same word for rule over you in the Lord. So there is this this authority structure, if you will, that's been given in the church. But how and by what means do elders rule? I'm an elder here. Brother David's an elder here. But scarcely to say in your life, I I can't rule over you. I can't tell you you've got to go do this and you've got to go do that and you've got to go do that. And I would not try to do that. So by, by what means do we do that? And I would suggest to you it's found in the last part of that verse. Labor in the word and doctrine. The way elders rule in the church is by declaring the righteous standard of God as given in the Bible, His word to you, the people, by rightly dividing that to you and saying, Thus says the Lord, And then elders, pastors, overseers seek to lead us as a church not to our righteous standard, but to God's righteous standard in obedience. So the pastor wants to expound the word and then the pastor wants to help us as a church apply the word in our daily lives. If you think about it, by what other means or authority would any of us be have to stand here and say you all should love one another and you might say by what authority we might say husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and you might say by what authority wives be submissive to your husbands and respect your husbands by what authority children honor your parents obey your parents christians go preach the gospel Read the Scriptures. Meditate upon it day and night. Pray to the Lord. Rebuke one another where it is necessary. Church discipline should be applied in the church. Why? By what standard? By what authority? The ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Why? By what authority? Forgive one another when we have wronged one another. Why? Why? By what authority? Ought we to do this? By the authority of the Word of God. That is the authority. How do elders rule? We rule by preaching the word, by teaching the word, and leading the church to obey the word. That is the authority in the church. No man has any inherent authority in himself. Christ is the head of the church, and we lead the church to Christ. I can unbutton my shirt, I'm not going to, and pull it back, and there is not an E imprinted on my chest. Not for Eric, but for Elder. All right, there's no, nothing there like that. All right, nothing. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. I don't jump into my pants, all right? So one leg at a time. No authority in the man. The authority lies in God and in His Word. And that's what Paul pointed. The rest of y'all are going to be trying to think about jumping in your pants all at one time, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the elders from Ephesus, he commended them to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build them up and give them an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So that's uh, that's the authority right there. Now, let's go to the second part. What does double honor mean? What does double honor mean? Great question. And uh, let's try to answer that. What does double honor mean? That word honor is often used to talk about price, to the amount, the cost of something. Um, It can be used to speak of honor or respect or status. So giving respect to someone... It can also, as I said, be talking about the price of something, the cost of something. So it seems to have, a, it is used in the Bible um, to speak of monetarily. It's used in the Bible when it comes to respect. In this context, let me tell you the best way to interpret this in the context. And I never noted this before until studying this this week. But in um, chapter 5, verse 3, you'll notice here that in verse 3, He's giving instructions in 3 through 16 about widows and how the church should take care of widows. And he says, honor widows who are really widows. And it's the same word. It's the word for time. Timae. It looks just like our word for time. But um, it's the word honor there. In verse 17, you have double honor. What did it mean for them to honor widows who are really widows? And he talks about really widows um, th- three times in this portion of Scripture as we go through uh, 3 through 16. Um, I can't find the second one, but i see where the last one is. As you, I thought I had them all underlined. If you look down at verse 16, he says, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. And the idea about them being a really a widow is that they are left alone and have to trust completely in God. They have no way with which to provide for themselves. So those who are really widows are to be honored by being relieved. And the relief here means that they are cared for so that their bills are paid, their basic necessities of life are taken care of. So the the way that honor is used in this portion sort of gives us direction on how it ought to be used in the second portion here. Double honor. So does that mean that they get double the allowance that a widow would get, that's what some have suggested, does it mean that they not only get the respect that they deserve, but they also get a compensation uh, for their service. So it probably has very much to do with the elders receiving materially from the congregation because they preach the word of God, they preach the gospel to the congregation. If you'll turn in your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 9. And I, I should have read it because he in verse 18, he gives two examples, two portions of Scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from actually Luke chapter 10. But he says in verse 18, and you just stay there in 1 Corinthians 9, but in First Timothy 6:18, "For the scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain." So the idea there is that the ox is treading on the grain to break it apart, break it up, break it away from the chaff. And it should not be muzzled so that it can't eat of the grain. It's doing the work. So as it's doing the work, that ox ought to be able to eat from its labor. And then the second from Luke 10, the laborer is worthy of his wages. You, you work a day, you get paid for a day's wage. And that's the idea behind this. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says in verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Verse 10. Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his, of his hope if we have sown spiritual things for you is it a great thing if we reap material things if others are partakers of this right over you are we not even more nevertheless we have not used this right but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of christ <clears throat> now this is unique to paul's apostleship and his situation but we can see the principle, In verse 13. "Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that, I should, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You see in verse 14, he said that the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, so it's right to pay to compensate uh, those who preach the word of God. It's the right thing to do. And go, going back to First Timothy five, we see that I think in this text. Excuse me. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. Point number two. accusation against an elder accusation against an elder accusations against an elder verse 19 <clears throat> he goes on to to teach Timothy saying do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses <clears throat> I've got another copy of my notes. I'm getting to the right one now. All right, verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. All right, so let's work through this a little bit. First thing is this. Elders will be accused. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have taken the time to, to write this. Elders will be accused. Second thing, from verse 19, accusations can only be received if brought by two or three witnesses. If they're not, they're not credible. Accusations can only be received if brought with two or three witnesses. Next thing we see from this portion is that elders who are sinning should be rebuked before all. This either means all the church or all the elders. The commentators are divided on what it means. All right, let's work through this a little bit. The word receive that we see in verse 19 simply means to accept it, to welcome it. And then we see the word uh, accusation. The word accusation means that. It means to accuse. It's a, it could be a legal charge. It's a word that's used in the court kangaroo court that Jesus went through. So Paul's telling Timothy here that he is only to receive an accusation or a charge against an elder if it is brought to him not by one individual <clears throat> but by two or three individuals. And this church was just to even receive the accusation. That doesn't mean the accusation is true. Because upon receiving the accusation, he must then investigate, or they must then investigate it, to see if it is legitimate. And you might say, well, surely if two or three people bring a charge against somebody, then it's true, right? <clears throat> now... <laughs> uh you can, I can think of three examples in scripture, Naboth in the Old Testament. I think 1 Kings chapter 21. Jezebel wanted to get Ahab because he was having a pity party. He was sold up because Naboth wouldn't sell him that vineyard. And Jezebel went and she arranged it so that false witness would come against Naboth to speak against him. And then he ended up being killed and Jezebel got her man the vineyard. I can think of Jesus. False witnesses were brought against Jesus. And then Jesus was eventually crucified. And then in Acts chapter 6, which if you're reading from the plan that we're sending out, you just read this week, Acts chapter 6, Stephen had false witnesses against him, speaking things that were not true. So those are examples uh, that we can cite to say, hey, just because... People are saying something that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, this is where the foundation of this comes from. And it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning an iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Warren Wearsby has rightly said, It is sad when churches disobey the word and listen to rumors, lies, and gossip. Many a godly pastor has been defeated in his life and ministry in this way. And some have even resigned from ministry. Where there's smoke, there's fire he says, may be a good slogan for a volunteer fire department, but it does not apply to local churches. Where there's smoke, there's fire, could possibly mean that somebody's tongue has been set on fire of hell. And those are wise words. <clears throat> Furthermore, John Stott has said, this practical regulation is necessary for the protection of pastoral leaders who are vulnerable to slander. None are more exposed to slanders and insults, wrote Calvin, than godly teachers. They perform their duties correctly and conscientiously, yet they never avoid a thousand criticisms. For the enemies of the gospel often take Vengeance on the ministers of the gospel. A smear campaign can completely ruin a leader's ministry. So Paul's first word to Timothy is that he must never listen to gossip about leaders or even to a serious accusation if it is made by only one person. Every charge must be endorsed by several responsible people before it is even listened to. Adherence to this biblical principle would have silenced many a malicious tellbearer and saved many pastors from unjust criticism and unnecessary suffering. Now, you might ask how do the how do you come up with these witnesses? Because though we can read this and hear it, we could be like, okay, that's pretty clear, but then when you get in the midst of it and you're trying to work through this stuff, you it's not as black and white as we would hope. How do you come up with these two or three witnesses? Let me just post to you three options. The first option could be this. You, you get offended, and we'll call him Elder Bob. You're offended, offended at Elder Bob, and because of something that Elder Bob has said or done, you are a little upset, and you would like to accuse him publicly of what he has done. You're not sure of anybody else who has anything or no one else saw what he did. So you're going to call around and you're going to talk to folks and see, hey, um, this happened to me. Do you have anything against Elder Bob? Has he done anything like that to to hurt your feelings or to offend you or sin against you? So maybe you could get the two or three witnesses that way. The warrant, I'm not recommending it, okay? <laughs> but you, you stand the risk of sowing discord and bearing false witness against Elder Bob if you do that. You just need to know that. The second thing is um, the witnesses may come because multiple people saw the offense. Let's say that you come and you say, Elder Bob yelled at me in the middle of the gym on a first Sunday fellowship meal. All right, you're, you're upset about that. All right, so the person that's brought to they may say, well, it was at the first Sunday fellowship meal, and you say, yes. Well, uh, can you bring some of the people who heard him? And, you, and then they say, well, nobody else heard him. And then the right response would be, and he yelled at you? Yes, he yelled at me, but nobody else heard it. All right, there's lacking credibility there. Multiple people see the offense and multiple people are able to come and share or witness to the fact that something happened or is happening. The third option for this could be the following. uh, To follow Matthew 18, 15 through 17. At which point two or three witnesses would be established. In other words, Elder Bob's offended somebody. That person who's offended does the biblical thing and goes to elder bob and says you've offended me in this elder bob doesn't listen won't hear them the person goes away and then brings two or three one or two people with them to elder bob and he still won't hear now there are three witnesses that are established and then those three witnesses go to in that day it would have been timothy In this day, who might it be? If you're offended at me, you wouldn't want to bring it to me with two or three witnesses like that after going through all of that. So you would go to Brother David, you would go to a deacon, and you'd bring those witnesses. And then it would be dealt with. That seems reasonable. That seems practical. So the two or three witnesses. And now you'll notice as we work Continue working through this in verse 20. And that's the last blank on that one. No favoritism should be shown to either side. But before we get there, notice verse 20. Those who are sinning. So this is in the present active. This is showing that elders are currently, an elder is currently sinning. And then that elder, because he is sinning after this has been evaluated, after the witnesses and what they've said has been evaluated, examined and cross-examined, just because somebody comes saying something doesn't mean that it's true, doesn't mean that it's not, but it has to be looked into. And then those who are found to be sinning, presently sinning, are to be rebuked. They are to be rebuked, as you see in verse 20, in the presence of all. I don't know if the all is all the church or all the elders. And the reason for that in verse 20 is that the rest also may fear. Now, church, I'm telling you, this is the way that it ought to be done. There is no man who who will ever be an elder at New Life Baptist Church who could not possibly be accused of something at some point. And there is no man that will be, has been, or ever will be an elder at New Life Baptist Church who is not a sinful man, who is not a sinner. And needs the grace of God just like everybody else. And it may be that there will be men who will sin and who need to be rebuked publicly at some point. And I say to you, if that is ever the case, then we should follow the word of God in that matter. We don't have to make it up of how we need to handle this. We need to follow the scripture. And then you see in verse 21, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. The angels are watching this drama that's going on in the church. That you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Whoever is put in the place of Timothy ought to look at the case and he should not have favoritism toward the elder, And he should not have favoritism toward the people who are bringing the charge. He should do everything without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Now, Stott has also said, a good phrase that I highlighted is, Timothy is to be cautious in accusing And bold in rebuking. And then I'll say one final thing I think on this. Once the elder has been rebuked, once there is repentance, it's done. Unless, of course, it is something that is disqualifying for him from ministry, but once it's done, it's done. And the church must move on. Let's go to our last point. Appointment of elders. <clears throat> this is going to be quick. Uh, verse 22 seems to be talking about caution when it comes to the appointment of elders. Even though this verse is difficultly, it's with difficulty this is interpreted. He says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. It could be that he's talking about the ordination or appointment of elders. Verse twenty three. I've used the word clarity on this <clears throat> because it's hard to understand why Paul put this in here. He says, "No longer drink water, only water, but use a little wine for the stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities." Maybe Timothy had just become a teetotaler. He wasn't drinking any wine, even though they don't have the op- didn't have the options then we have now. And because of that. Uh, you know, Maybe he did it to, to keep from there being any accusation against him. Paul tells him to drink a little wine. Why? For the stomach's sake and your often infirmities, your frequent infirmities. Clarity. And then the last one is discernment. I've never understood this passage until now. If it, If you take this in context of elders and the appointment of elders, it makes a lot of sense. Because in verse 24, he says, Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. So, Timothy, be cautious. Be discerning when appointing an elder, because some men's sins will follow them afterwards. Some men's sins precede them. Be cautious. Verse 25, Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. And those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Timothy, you're cautious about a man. He he appears to be following the Lord. You're not sure. His good works may not be showing up yet, but they're going to follow after him. So be cautious, be discerning. I think that concludes this passage. I hope this is a um, helpful exposition of First Timothy chapter five verses seventeen through twenty-five. As always, I remind you that this church and this passage is not just kind of out there on its own, but it's there because the church exists, and the reason the church exists is because Christ died for the church to save us from our sins. And as I began earlier at the Lord's Supper, I'll end now saying to you, are you a part of this church? Not because you've been grandfathered into it, because you're a child whose parents are Christians, but have you owned the faith yourself? Have you come to personally believe in Christ who died for our sins? Yes, even died for your sins. Have you trusted in Him as your Savior? If not, as always, you are invited to do that through faith, repentance, and then publicly declaring that through the waters of baptism. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I do thank you so much for the Scriptures. Lord, I just treasure your word, and I want to treasure it more, and I pray that we will, Father, treasure your word even more than our necessary food. Thank you for this passage today. <clears throat> I ask you, Father, to seal it to our hearts. Let it be a guide to us in times of darkness as, church, as the church. I pray, Father, that even, yes, this passage will be a light to our feet, a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths as we live out life in the local church. And, Father, finally, I pray for any who are not a part of the church because they've not believed in Christ. I pray, Father, that they would have grace from you today to believe that gospel of Christ crucified risen again on the third day. In Jesus' name, amen.